We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. The show, as always, is presented by Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com for the best deal of the year, which includes 50% off on all style windows with no money down, no payments, and no interest for two years. Mention my name. You'll get a free estimate, so you've got nothing to risk. 866-90-NATION, windownation.com. Dot com. Uh, this from HTT Dubs, who gave us five stars and titled yes. his Apple review committee. After careful discussion with my committee, I'll give the show five <laughs> stars. Despite Tom's bizarre takes at times, you guys are the best. Uh, well done, HTT Dubs. Um, we are. We've talked a lot about committees here well, over the last yes, we couple of weeks. And, and if I could share with you something that uh, a fan of your podcast posted on X, otherwise known as Twitter. Well, when you say my podcast, uh, my podcast it? with you. Yes, yes, our podcast uh-huh. that that we we co-host. Right. Thank you, Brian uh, Cunningham. Posted to you, Kevin Sheen, D.C. You do such good work, but maybe we can drop Tom Lavero. So many better options. <laughs> now, the funny part about this is he follows me. Okay? <laughs> yeah, of course he does. Of course he does. He follows me, and yeah. in his bio, he refers to himself as a Christian. This isn't very Christian of him, I don't think. You know... We do, we've done so many shows together over the now, um, not 20 years that we've known each other, but certainly 17 or 18 years well, we, that we we've known each other. We started doing the show in 2009. In 2009, but we knew each other before then. But yeah, so yes, 15 years of doing shows together. And we've had a lot of doozies over the years. I did not consider the last show we did, I think it was the last show we did, Thursday's show, to yeah. be to be necessarily one that would generate so much attention, but I it was definitely and Tommy, this event Friday night, I mean so many people came and I, I, I went through on yesterday's show, 
By the way, sorry for getting the show out as late as we did. Uh, We had some issues. First of all, I wanted to wait until the press conference ended. And then the interview that I had was supposed to schedule, uh, was supposed to start right afterwards, but didn't start until two hours afterwards um, with Phil Longo, who was excellent on Cliff Kingsbury. Um, but we did eventually get it out. And uh, But again, sorry. Uh, but I thanked everybody for coming out. But I, I, on Friday night, so many people who were there to see this event that we did, um, there were so many people there that were just fans of this podcast, of the show, radio show for you know seven and a half years, et cetera. And they were all commenting on the show the day before. And I said, that's so funny because, and it was mixed reactions, either that's when I love the show or, oh my God, I mean, is Tom out of his mind? <laughs> um, but I told you this, that my son texted me the next day, which was Friday, and he said, Dad, that's the best show with you and Tommy in weeks. And I said, Really? And he goes, when you guys are really going after it, he goes, I've listened long enough to know that, you know, you're not really angry with one another. But, um, oh, he had, um, oh, shit. There was a line that you had that he said just made him laugh out loud. And I'll come up with it before the end of the show. But, uh, yeah, that was one of those shows that apparently people really loved or they were really angry at you in particular, which are the yes, best shows yes. we do. I just didn't realize yes. it when it was over. I didn't think that it was one of those. We've had. Neither did I. We've had. I didn't think better so ones. either. Um, but but anyway. generally, we offer a menu of excellence on most days, and <laughs> well, that turned yeah. out to be a menu of excellence. Yeah, and no matter how bizarre the committee thought your takes were at times. Uh, don't forget if you get a chance to rate us and review us five stars, quick one to two sentence review on Apple is always helpful. Uh, we were way up there, um, in the rankings on the Apple podcast charts, uh, this week for the sports category for the football category. And I think I mentioned this on the show yesterday. That is not unusual when you have a lot of big news related to the football team. Um, it's usually that way after, you know, games on Mondays and after big news weeks like the one we had last week, which um, concluded yesterday with the Dan Quinn press conference, which I spent a lot of time talking about on yesterday's show, and I'll let Tommy weigh in, but I've got to tell you what happened today on radio. Today was the first day of Super Bowl trivia on the radio show. This was... Oh, one of my favorite segments. (laughs) This used to give Tommy Ajita like you wouldn't believe. I mean... You know, I've seen Tommy sweat most often in front of beautiful women like Brooklyn Decker at the Super Bowl. But um, (laughs) I've seen Tommy sweat. But those days of us doing Super Bowl trivia where we offered the prize, because, of course, the radio station was too cheap to offer anything meaningful. So we decided we would offer cash, straight cash, homie, out of our own pockets. Now, let me just point out that, let me just point out, this is evidence what a good salesman Kevin can be, because he convinced me to reach <laughs> into my own pocket. This, was, this wasn't my idea. This was his idea. 
and he convinced me to put up my own money. Well, I knew if you weren't invested, it wasn't going to be nearly as good of a segment. So um, we both chipped in 125 to the winner who could, you know, get three Super Bowl trivia questions. Excuse for the... me. Excuse me. Yeah. You're off by half. Oh, did we offer 500? Yes. Oh, I think you're right. I think you're right. We did offer yes. 500. Yes. So it was 250 a pop. Um, and yes. the Super Bowl trivia thing that we played each year, I, you know, for years I, I listened to Mike and the Mad Dog when I was up in New York and then listened to I, – I still listen to Mad Dog, um, you know, in the afternoons a lot of days. I, I, I love him. He's one of my all-time favorites. And he was the one that, you know, he's been doing Super Bowl trivia. They did it for years, and they did it in this way in which they were really hard questions. But – but I so we started to do the same thing, and it is one of those segments that it's good. F- what you know, a program director would say, you're keeping them, you know, following along, like playing it. You know, they're playing the game with everybody, and so you want that sort of thing. But I created the questions, you know, the easy level yeah. questions, which weren't so easy. Level one, the medium uh, questions, which are kind of really hard, and then the third level. If you got to the third level and answered it, very hard questions, and we had one winner in like four, seven years of doing it. We had one winner, I think. That was it. Yeah. And then, by the way, after that, you decided, well, I'm not doing this anymore. We can have them come in and sit in on this show. That's what they want to do anyway. I'm like, no, they want cash, dummy. But anyway, so today was day one of Super Bowl trivia. And we did like two segments, I don't know, 10 callers, 11 callers in, and we get to the very end of the show. And I've added like five or six level three questions because there, I've got like 15 of them from past years that I've never even gotten to because people yeah. didn't get to okay. those levels. But one of the new ones that I put in, I had one guy, the last guy today, Daniel in Elkridge. He got to level three. And I decided to go with one of my new, what I thought was a very hard level three question. And I effed this up. Because most of my level three questions, you can't look up. It's just too hard to look up in 25 seconds and get the answer. You know, level one, level two, if you're, you know, in front of your phone or in front of your laptop or desktop, you can look them up pretty quickly if you're, if you're, you know, looking for the right things. And I found this trivia question, which I, I had heard before, but I didn't realize that a lot of people had heard it. And I didn't realize how look, how easy it would be to look it up. So. Let me just tell you, he got the answer. So on day one, we had a winner. Now, the winner's getting you know a pair of tickets to, I don't even know if you would call this a winning prize, but a pair of tickets to a Wizards, Caps, or Terps home game of your choice. But I'm going to ask you the question to see if you can get it. And I'd prefer if you don't look it up because I think you... I won't look it up. I think you, you can come up with, with at least a few of these. So there are five colleges slash universities that have both Super Bowl winning quarterbacks and U.S. presidents as alumni. Can you name the five colleges? You have 25 seconds. Whoa. Go. I thought this was really hard. I, 
I've been asked this question before by, you know, just hanging out with friends doing stupid trivia stuff, but I didn't think it was one that was going to be so easy to look up. Okay. You want me to go? Yeah, go. Notre Dame? No. No presidents. Brigham Young? Nope. No presidents ever gone to Brigham Young. U.S. president. Yeah, I know. I I didn't think you were talking about Guatemalan president. Well, I mean, BYU? I mean, Notre Dame was a better guess than BYU, but go ahead. Wait, I, we haven't had, wasn't Nixon a Mormon? No, Nixon wasn't a Mormon. Are you sure? Romney would have been our first Mormon president. Okay. Okay, Nixon used to walk around wearing funny hats. He might have been a Mormon. <laughs> well, he was not. Nixon was not a Mormon. I don't know what Nixon was, okay. but I'm pretty sure Mitt Romney would have been our first Mormon president. Okay. Okay. But anyway, okay, you, know, it's you funny. should. By this the way, is how you, old I am. You should know this where Nixon went. You should know where Nixon went to college. Whittier College. Exactly. Whittier College. Which was the yeah, same college right. that George Allen went to. Yeah. You know, this is how old I am. When you said Romney. Last name, I thought of George Romney. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Long time ago. So, yes. five colleges, universities, U.S. president, and a winning Super Bowl quarterback, at least one. Alabama. Nope. Okay, well, I can't do this. I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's hard. It is definitely hard. Yeah. Let, me, let me just give you a hint. One of them is a service academy. Well, uh, Navy. Navy. Roger Staubach. Staubach and Jimmy okay. Carter, all right, are both graduates right. of the U.S. Naval Academy. Um, one of them is very current. This was, this was actually the one that I thought was the hardest. Because, Delaware. Yes, Flacco and Biden. Yes, Delaware. Right? So that's two. <laughs> Um, so the others are the University of Michigan, Brady and Ford. All right. Ford, okay. The University of Miami of Ohio, Ben Roethlisberger and Benjamin Harrison. And then Stanford has Herbert Hoover as a graduate and then two Super Bowl winning quarterbacks. So I'll leave, uh, we'll wrap it up. Can you name the two Super Bowl winning quarterbacks that went to Stanford? Uh... One of them lost to the Skins in a Super Bowl, and one of them beat the Skins in a Super Bowl. Okay. Uh, Well, one of them was John Elway. That's correct. And the other one was Jim Plunkett. Very good. Yep. There you go. So it was easy to look up. I That's a, that's good though. That's a good question. It is a good question, but it needs to it next year I will remember to put that at level two. Because you gotta have a level three question that you can't look up. You know that you can't look up in twenty five seconds and get it. They got they they got to know it. I've got a really I've got a couple of really good level three questions, um, and they're just not easy to look up necessarily. So, well, I'm glad that your current 
radio station management at least is willing to put up the prizes, and you don't have to reach into your own pocket for it. Well, don't, that's a big assumption there. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but, you know. All right, let me backtrack but, that. But I'm not publicizing that, even though I just did. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah. Um, no, they're helping out, I guess, sort of. Sort, sort of. They don't know they're helping out yet, but I've got a way for them to help out without them knowing that they're helping out. Let's just put it that way. That's the best way to deal with management, yeah. where, where they don't even know they're, they're doing something. <laughs> yeah, you know what? And then I'll thank them after the fact, and they'll be like, for what? And I said, oh, for the tickets that you got. <laughs> oh, I didn't even know we did that. Um, anyway, so... Uh, I spent a lot of time on the podcast yesterday uh, talking about the Dan Quinn, uh, Adam Peters, Josh Harris, you know, almost hour-long press conference. Um, I'm not going to sit here and share with you what I thought because I don't want to influence your thought because I usually do. Um, What did you think? You didn't go, did you? No, I didn't didn't go. I'm in Florida. Oh, duh, of course. Of course. Yeah. Focused, I watched it. Focused on karaoke. Um, yeah. Okay, so what did you think? I thought it was okay. I thought it was good. Lots of, lots of running through, uh, you know, running through the door for this guy, running through walls for this guy. Lots of stuff about, what was it, uh, attitude and uh, swagger and a lot of stuff like that, you know? Almost like a Tony Roberts uh, convention. Really? You know. The, Did you watch this? I didn't guy. hear Swagger mentioned once. Oh yeah, absolutely, it's in there. Look at the it transcript. Is? Okay. Maybe yeah. he said it. Yeah. He said it. Yes. Okay. He said it. Uh huh. He said it. In fact, let me get you the quote. I, I can. Get I, you the I'm, quote. I I actually now know. I think I know where it is now. Yes. So. Okay. So, but but that's that's fine. That's what that's that's what people want. That's what won him the. That's what got him the job. So why not go with that in the press conference? What else? That's how he won the interview. What else? What else? What else? I don't know. I mean, it was an hour. Everybody long. said the right. Every everybody said the right things. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh. And Rick Spielman was spoken to reporters after the game, refer, after the press conference, referred to the, all the other stuff going on as noise, even though that noise was still going on while they were holding the press conference. What noise? Uh, what, are you talking, what are you talking about? You know, all, 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 the, all the, the crap that went on about the selection process and who got picked and who didn't and who, who said what who didn't. He called all that noise, you know. So. Well, I, I agree. Even though, even I, though that noise was going on yesterday, still. What was the what, what, noise. what noise? Are you talking about the Albert Breer column in Monday Morning Quarterback? Because I did reference and read no, from no, that. No, that was, that's, that, no, no, that's, that's their mouthpiece. Oh, no, he, no, no, no. That, oh, that's, oh, he's their that's, mouthpiece. That's the good noise. He's their mouthpiece. Yeah. Oh, because it doesn't yeah. agree with you. He's the mouthpiece. So is Mike Florio no, 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 your no, guy? No. That's where, that's where that, that same... Sports Illustrated writer also wrote the week before in the hiring of Adam Peters that Rick Spielman was on the phone for 16 hours a day 
in that process. Right. Um, I'm wondering if they included door, DoorDash calls among those 16 hours. Right. Come on. 16 hours. I mean, that, that was oh, their God. vehicle. Here we go again. Tommy. No, I don't want to go down this road. I, 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 You're but, the one who keeps pressing it. No, you, you just said. You brought it up. I, didn't, I had no idea no, that I there was said, still noise going I, on yesterday. Well, there is noise going on yesterday. Uh, uh, other than the Albert Breer column, which came out yesterday morning, which wasn't noise. Schefter went on there on social media yesterday and basically, you know, took a shot at Ben Johnson. It, it was, it went on for days. L- let me ask you. And it was let part me ask of the you embarrassment. This, embarrassment of for what? This committee. Oh. And this committee and this search committee. This, I, I don't want to go through it again. I know, but I, I don't... think it was a public relations nightmare for them. A public relations nightmare. Actually, the whole thing ended up, perhaps, not that they wouldn't have come to this conclusion on their own, being, I think, a, a huge bullet dodged in the Ben Johnson piece. I mean, how about what he put out through Jenna Lane? Oh, well, he doesn't look good either. They both, no, it was back and forth. But that's not, that's not where you want to be. If you own a football team, you don't want to be in a pissing match publicly through reporters with a guy who turns you down for a job. That's not, that's not good public relations. That's bad. I, I would agree with you that getting into this, I guess, pissing match with Ben Johnson doesn't do anybody any favors. But at the same time, the Ben Johnson narrative wasn't created by them. Now, to... to How do we know that? Well, we know that because of what I reported, which you seem to not take much, you know, uh, in, in terms of legitimacy in, um, which I don't understand, but... Uh, there was no reason for me to find out from a very solid source early on in the process that Dan Quinn was bl- had blown them away, had checked every box, was definitely near the top of their list, and was probably a plan B to their plan A if it falls through. So I guess the the, the, the Ben Johnson, I think it's exactly what, what Diana and Ben Standig wrote, which is it just got started and it became sort of an echo chamber and it got carried away. I don't think that they were really talking about Ben Johnson. Look, it doesn't mean that they weren't interested in Ben Johnson. Two different things. Because I do think there was interest in Ben Johnson. I think the way Albert Breer spelled it out was exactly the way I heard it was going down. Very, and we talked about well, this last week. Very meticulous. Well, this, this is what the very com- you know makes the committee look good. Very the whole, that whole well, article but, but makes them look like this process. But we've heard about something. these people being this way from the moment they took over the team. We've heard that Josh Harris and Mitchell Rails they are going to cross every T, dot every I. I know it drives you nuts. And like I've told you before, it wasn't necessarily the way that I would handle things in a, a you know at, at a point in my life, but we've heard that this is how they go about things. Um, and you don't like it, which is fine, uh, but this is the way they do things. And I, I, I think as far as Ben Johnson goes, I think the net of it is because I don't want to really spend a lot of time on on him either. I think the net of it is twofold. One. 
after the last couple of weeks, I think they dodged a bullet with Ben Johnson because this guy clearly doesn't want or isn't ready to be a head coach. And then two, like I said yesterday on the podcast, I just... I think it's the damaged fan base thing with the fans, with others that should know better. It's, it's, it would be better if they just sa- said, I don't know, rather than pushing this narrative that Dan Quinn was like a, a Jim Zorn hiring, like he was plan F okay, it's not, or a it's fifth not, choice because that's, that's, that's stupid and it's wrong. No, they like Dan Quinn. That's obvious. No, they, they, they love Dan Quinn. Oh, from the interview. Yeah, okay? from the very first it, interview. Good interview or not, he's still the, the coach who got fired in Atlanta and after building a top-five defense in Dallas, watched his unit melt down in a wild-card playoff game. Bad interview or not, Johnson is still the offensive guru who took the Detroit Lions to the NFC Championship game and turned Jared Goff into a star NFL quarterback. Interviews are overblown. And if he won them over because of the interview, I, that's a little bit shaky to me. It may work out for them. It, he didn't win them over just because of the interview. He won them over because they were inundated with recommendations, references, saying yes, 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 yes on Dan Quinn. And, and by the way, the, the, ben, the Ben Johnson piece it's not just about what he's done as a coordinator. It is about the interview and proving – to a group that was looking for a leader to be their head coach, that he was capable of being a leader, capable of being a head coach, not just an offensive coordinator. And there was nothing we heard about Ben Johnson before that happened that would indicate that he wasn't capable of being that guy. The Washington Post ran a huge profile of him uh, while, while, while uh, the playoffs were going on. Talking about how players loved him. Right. Talking about how players loved playing for him as offensive coordinator. All this generated uh, once the once they got the tech. Once they learned that he wasn't interested in the job. Don't you think the fact that he doesn't have a head coaching job says something about maybe his readiness to be a head coach? It may. It's okay. po- certainly possible. Okay. At least I got you to, to, to admit that. Because I think you're right up until last week at this time. Really, it's just a week ago, even though it seems like it's been a lot, a lot longer than that. I think you're right that the narrative was this guy is the next, you know, this is the next Sean. This is the next Matt LaFleur. This is the next Kyle Shanahan. So, of course, you're going to hire him. But he passed last year, and he passed this year. And what we heard after the fact was he is more of an introvert. He's more of a likes to go in Monday, shut the door, come out on Wednesday with a with an offensive game plan. Schefter, the analogy he used on my show is that Ben Johnson is just one of those people like a, a high school senior who can go anywhere that they want to go to but just wants to stay home because that's what's comfortable for them. So they want to go to a school close to home. They're not as adventurous. They're not as confident about taking on something much bigger or something uh, more unknown. Um, That's certainly one narrative that was put out there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the narrative that I believe. You may not believe it. It's the narrative I believe because he's not a head coach right now. And if he were a head coach right now, I then I would hesitate 
in believing it. But he isn't a head coach. And from what we know, nobody's actually offered, made an official offer to him to be a head coach. But you're right. Enough about Ben Johnson. Uh, About yesterday, here's one of the things that if I didn't emphasize this enough yesterday, I want to emphasize it today with Tommy. Because I I went back and I read through the transcript. I watched it live like you did and took notes and, you know, uh, used some cuts that I played on the podcast and even more so that I played on radio today. But I think what was so clear to me is that this was the right hire for Adam Peters. And I think it's the right hire for everybody else. I'm not suggesting that the, the search committee was split that the 37 people on the search committee were all split on Dan Quinn. But I think what I heard yesterday was exactly what Josh Harris and Adam Peters, you know, discussed two and a half weeks ago when they introduced Josh, uh, Adam Peters or two, three weeks ago now, I guess it was. And that is they were looking for a leader and they were looking somebody for somebody who had the shared vision with what they wanted the organization to be. And what kept coming up over and over again yesterday was that Adam Peters and Dan Quinn, look, this could be, this could have been for show, but I thought Dan Quinn sounded very genuine. You know, he was very much. Oh, I think he's the real deal. Yeah. I think he believes everything he says. But what I heard. And I think he is inspirational. And I think he does come across as a leader. And I think Adam Peters does like uh, Dan Quinn. I just don't think that was his first choice. Who was his first choice? I think it was Ben Johnson. I'm going to buy into what Mike Garofalo said in that Seattle radio interview last week. Yeah, but when he said that when he said that Adam Peters had Ben Johnson as his guy until until the committee said otherwise. Well, that's not what he said. It was yes, until it, it became more clear that Ben Johnson wasn't really ready to be a head coach. I, I don't have the exact transcript. I, I actually listened to that. Oh, I, I got it. And Adam I, Peters was not the only one making the decision there in Washington, which is not to say he was undermined, but Rick Spielman was involved. Josh Harris was involved. Mike Bob Myers involved as well. Right. So four people who came to a collective decision, and it was not going to be Ben Johnson. Yeah, but before remember this guy. But before this guy he works but for before the he NFL said Network. that, the, before he said that, the headline was, "I don't think he interviewed particularly well." Uh, right, I yeah. get that. You know, it was but it was the said, old. I'm not fired. Adam I Peters, quit. But had it backwards. He, he said Adam Peters had Ben Johnson going into this. But he was But according to this, it was not his decision to make. He said, "My belief remember, is that he worked, came into this." Adam Peters had Ben Johnson as his guy. That's what I. That's what I said uh, before. I understand that, but you just left out the part that he didn't interview particularly well, which probably well, meant which, about which, that. which probably meant that it be quickly be, not became not his guy. Anyway, it, it, we're. He may have had a real interest in Ben Johnson until he talked to him. Um, so on the um, what I was going to finish saying is just that I think what was very apparent to me is that Adam Peters got the guy that is the best fit for him. And 
a, a new head coach that was introverted like a Ben Johnson would have been perhaps a bad fit. Because one of the things that's noticeable about Adam Peters, and I don't care about this at all, you know, he's not, you know, super comfortable as a communicator. Not in the first two. He hasn't done it before. He's been an assistant GM. He hasn't been in this position before. And the only thing that's important with Adam Peters is that he's the talent evaluator that everybody says he is, and he picks really good players. But what I heard over and over again was a shared vision on what kind of player they want. And that Adam Peters feels really good about working with somebody that he's not going to have to convince. They're going to be on the same page on the kind of players they want. How long that'll last, who knows. But I felt very much like it was a genuine, um, you know, fit. Like it was a really good fit and that this is the guy that is going to be best for Adam Peters, and he knows it. Um, okay, well, I don't know if he's got the guy who's going to be the best for Adam Peters, but but there, I didn't sense. I don't think there's any conflict between their vision. And I also just would say the best part about all of this is that it's an organization with structure for the first time. There's an owner. There's a general manager. There's a head coach. The head coach is here to coach the team. The general manager is here to pick the team. And the owner, knock on wood, uh, is here to now let these guys do their job. And that is the first normal situation we've had in 25 years. You're right. You're right. So You're right. I I choose not to judge what they do from now on, including this, in the context of what, what has happened before. You, I choose to judge. Do you think you can do that for on the merits of what they're doing now? Do you think? Yes. You, you, do you think you can pull that off? I think it's going to be hard for I you. I think. <laughs> I don't think it will. It'd be hard for you. You've already given them a two-year blanket of of freedom. Well, two years seems appropriate. I'd be. I mean, that would be thirty-four <laughs> regular season games. Okay. It sounds like you don't even want to see a game before you're ready to pounce. <laughs> um. Will be interesting though the next couple of months. Uh, quarterback is rather. It'll be exciting. Important. I grant you this. It'll be exciting, especially with the introduction of Cliff Kingsbury as the offensive coordinator and all the speculation up until April as to whether or not the the Commanders are going to make a move and get Caleb Williams. That that's going to generate a lot of excitement. Yeah, let's talk about that when we come back. Also, there is a very interesting Super Bowl story going on out in Vegas as it relates to practice facilities. Uh, We'll get to that and a lot more. Let me mention that mybookie.ag is the place to bet the Super Bowl, boys and girls. Use my uh, promo code. That promo code is KevinDC. You'll get a cash bonus on your initial deposit. Right now, the Super Bowl odds are San Francisco minus two at my bookie. The total's 47 and a half. And there are 300 plus prop bets at my bookie. Uh, my bookie's got fair everything, and you get paid when you win. Um, did you see the story, Tommy, over the weekend with several uh, leading legal sports books in the U.S.? 
and how the golf ended at Pebble Beach, 54 holes because of the torrential rains out west. And some of the shops left open the ability to bet the leader at the end of the third round to win the tournament, even though the forecast really indicated that the tournament may not actually finish up. And 54 holes, if it's rained out, is considered complete. And a lot of people went in and bet Wyndham Clark, who had the lead, tied him into a bunch of parlays. And apparently some of these legal U.S. sports books are voiding all of those bets, even though they made them available. Uh, my bookie's not going to do that. Um, they got it right. They're old school. You're going to pay old school vigs. You're not going to be overcharged. You're going to get fair point spreads, fair money lines, fair totals, and you're going to have all the Super Bowl prop bets that you want. Maybe later in the week we'll go through some of the prop bets um, and discuss some of them. Uh, San Francisco right now minus two. I've seen some two and a halves out there. I still, I, I've been wrong about this. I predicted a week ago that the line would move the other way, um, and it was at one and a half at, at the time. It'll still be interesting to me to see where this line goes from here. MyBookie.ag promo code Kevin DC. More after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This 
This segment brought to you by our good friends at Due South DC. They've got the biggest Mardi Gras party in town. Fat Tuesday, a week from today, February 13th. Get ready to let the good times roll with their legendary Cajun buffet, live music, and beads galore. We're talking about the most authentic Mardi Gras party outside of New Orleans, right here in the nation's capital. Grab your friends, bring your appetite, join everybody at Due South for the ultimate Mardi Gras bash in February. Good times, great eats, that's how they do it down south. And they're bringing it all to D.C. Learn more at DueSouthDC.com. For those of you that don't know, Due South is in Navy Yard, right near Nats Park. Really good restaurant, excellent barbecue. So whether it's for the Mardi Gras bash or anything else, uh, check out Due South, and you can find out more at DueSouthDC.com. All right, uh, before we get to uh, Cliff Kingsbury, Caleb Williams' quarterback conversation, yesterday Roger Goodell uh, did his annual Super Bowl press conference. And one of the things that I thought was interesting, because I'm into you know the NFL schedule stuff and TV stuff, we know that it was pretty controversial last year, Tommy, when the NFL decided to play a game on Black Friday, the Friday after Thanksgiving. And they ran that game, the Jets-Dolphins game, on Peacock, even though they made it free that day. One of the things that... No, that was an Amazon. That was an Amazon Oh, game. Amazon. Excuse me. It was on Amazon. Yeah. You're correct. Well, you're right. It was still on it, streaming. People had to pay to watch it. And they had to pay. No, but they made it free that day. They made it free that day. Remember? That game oh, okay. was free. I, I didn't remember that. But the other part of that day was it was the NFL taking a day that was historically very much a college football day. And, you know, over the years, going back to, you know, all of the television, you know, antitrust stuff, um, it was pretty much a given that the NFL during football season, during college football season and even high school football season, they would not go head-to-head with football on Fridays or football on Saturdays. Now, when the college football season ended, they would have Saturday games in December you know, and beyond. But last year, right. they broke that by going on Friday following Thanksgiving and playing that Jets-Dolphins game. Well, the commissioner announced yesterday that week one of the 2024 NFL season will feature the typical kickoff game on Thursday night with the Super Bowl champion hosting a game. And then the next night, the Philadelphia Eagles are going to play a game in Brazil that will be on television. It'll be the NFL's first Friday night game on opening weekend in more than 50 years I don't remember 50 years ago a game on Friday night, but that is a big, that's week two of the college football season. And they typically have a lot of games on Friday nights, the Thursday, Friday, well, the first Thursday night, but Friday nights, the first two weeks and the NFL is going to play Thursday and Friday night. And I would just remind everybody, the Eagles, they play Washington twice a year. Washington's first game under Dan Quinn could be in Brazil. First ever game, by the that way. That would be bad. That would be bad. You don't want to. You don't want to rob these fans of any home games next year. Well, it's not. It's a, a Philadelphia home game. Oh, it's a Philly home game. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The NFC. Okay, then that'd be fine. The NFC you know has what? You nine and me, games. You and me heading to Brazil. Let's do Wouldn't it. That'd be great. 
Oh my god. Okay. Yes. That would be that'd be a good trip. I've never been to Brazil, have you? I went to Brazil oh, about eight years ago as a guest at a journalism conference, a guest speaker. Uh so, so they paid all my expenses and stuff. You remember that story? They I weren't do, gonna I pay do, for yeah. oh yeah, they, I do now, yeah. They weren't gonna pay for first class and they weren't gonna pay for my booze. And I sent it back saying, unacceptable, you can keep it. And then they, they sent it back saying, okay, we'll fly you first class and we'll pay for all your alcohol. Yeah. Um, so, all right. But, yeah, I've been to Brazil, but that would, be, that would be a lot of fun. You and me there, baby. That would be a lot of fun. That'd be a good trip. Uh, good time of year, too, I think, for that trip. Um, all right. Now, as far as the Friday night thing, you know, maybe at this point, there's just so much of the pie around that everyone thinks they can share it. What do you mean? That, that people, you know, they're so, football is so all-consuming, and there's so much of an audience that there's no fear of, of, of going head-to-head anymore because there's, so, there's enough for everybody. I know that. I know that, but the NFL will always beat college football. And, you right. know, the, the deals that, you know, ESPN and CBS and Fox and everybody has with college football, look, they all have, you know, college and NFL deals anyway. Um, I'm actually looking back at week two last year. There were two games on that Friday night in college football, and neither one of them was a big game. So maybe it really isn't a super competitive night like the day after Thanksgiving is. Because that day after Thanksgiving, you got about 15, 16 college football games. That's always been a college football day. I remember when the day after Thanksgiving was Nebraska-Oklahoma. That was always... Oklahoma. I remember those days. Those days. And Auburn and Alabama, the Iron Bowl, was played on some of those Fridays after uh, Thanksgiving, um, although that's now uh, been moved to that Saturday. Ohio State-Michigan's always been that Saturday of Thanksgiving uh, weekend. But anyway, um, Washington does play Philadelphia, as they always do, on the road. So it will be one of the options uh, for the NFL to consider. Uh, We'll have more on that when the mock schedule comes out sometime in late April (laughs) or early May. So... Cliff Kingsbury, your reaction to that hiring? Okay, I mean, I would, I would. This is something I would defer to you on. Uh, I don't think he was a particularly good head coach in Arizona. Uh, I don't think he did a, a particularly good job with Kyler Murray. But I think that 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 may be the quarterback's fault as much as anything. Uh, but people think he's a great offensive mind, so I would say this was a coup for them to be able to hire him based on what I based on my limited knowledge what do you think I'm okay with it uh, in part because I'm kind of okay with everything right now benefit of the doubt Kevin uh, but the, I don't have strong feelings one way or the other I don't have strong negative feelings I don't have strong positive feelings a little bit curious as to how they got from at least some level of interest in what Ben Johnson was doing offensively in Detroit and then landing on Kingsbury, but I would hope that the head coach that they hired had a lot to do with that. I do know this, that people in football who I would prefer to listen to rather than people who don't know anything about football 
Um, they really respect Cliff Kingsbury. They respect his imagination. They respect his ability to scheme up uh, an offense, certainly at the college level. There could be reasons why at the NFL level uh, he wasn't as consistently great uh, as an offensive mind. A lot of that may have to do with the fact that he was a head coach, not a coordinator. A lot of it may have to do with some of the players he had, maybe the structure of the organization and how they got their players. But I don't have any reason to be against it uh, in a in a major way. Um, everybody in football seems to think that Cliff Kingsbury uh, is, you know, a very, very good uh, and creative offensive mind. And in watching him at the college level for many years, I would agree with that, certainly at the college level. But I'm okay with it. Uh, I really am. Um, I'm really actually more intrigued to see how this thing comes together after the press conference yesterday than maybe I was even before it. Um, I think the quarterback connection to Caleb Williams, I, I they're going to find out all they need to know about Caleb Williams because he was there for yeah. a year. So that's good yeah. news. Um, but it doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to you know, do whatever it takes, you know, move heaven and earth to, to trade up to get Caleb Williams. First of all, you know, Chicago controls that situation. And who knows, maybe, just maybe, Cliff Kingsbury is not a massive fan of him at the NFL level. We don't know what he thinks of him. So. No, I'm, I'm good with it. I'm, I, I, would, I would say that most, uh, my impression is most fans are happy with it. He has the reputation of being an offensive genius, like you said. I don't think most fans are okay with it. I think there's a lot of fans that aren't okay with Dan Quinn, and I think there are a lot of fans that aren't okay with Cliff Kingsbury. I think a lot of those fans focus primarily on the record, you know, and a game like the Green Bay-Dallas game or the Super Bowl game or Kingsbury, you know, in Arizona. Um, And I think that there's a lot of that kind of evaluation. Like, why would we get a guy with, you know, a losing record as a head coach? I don't know. Maybe because he's not going to be the head coach here. He's going to be the offensive coordinator. I don't know. Maybe there were circumstances in Arizona that weren't set up, you know, the way it'll be set up here where, you know, picking the players. Look, he he didn't work for one of the best owners in sports. No. You know, no. um, bad organization there. Yeah, that the, the the younger Bidwell. You know, there's been a lot you know about him um, that hasn't been overly positive. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of into seeing how this whole thing plays out. I, I'm optimistic for the first time in a long time. I'll probably end up looking silly for saying this a couple of years from now. Although I don't know that I feel as strongly about the possibility of looking silly a few years from now because it's just a different situation. But I felt the guy that I was watching yesterday was just here to coach football. I watched the interview he did also with Logan Paulson uh, afterwards, and I forget the name of the guy that Logan does it with. It's on the internet. It's on the commander's website. But he just, he's here to coach football. Our last guy was a football coach too, but he was political. 
and he wasn't coming here to coach the team. He was coming here to do right. a lot of other things. And he was entering an organization with Dan Snyder, and not even Joe Gibbs left with a winning record under Dan yeah, Snyder. Yeah, that's why the whole comparison between Ron Rivera and Dan Quinn is not valid. Yeah, it's not valid. Um, you mentioned to me this story about the uh, Super Bowl practice facilities. You wanted to talk about that. Right. Uh, you remember Mike Silver, who worked for Ron Rivera briefly? Uh, yeah, sure. Of in course. the organization as, as a writer, longtime Sports Illustrated NFL writer. Now he writes for the San Francisco Chronicle. You know, there's this dispute going on between uh, with, with the uh, 49ers and the Chiefs. Uh, and it's not necessarily between them. It's more between the 49ers and the NFL. The Chiefs have been practicing at the Raiders' state-of-the-art practice facility in Henderson, Nevada. The 49ers have been practicing at the UNLV facilities, which apparently leave a lot to be desired, and they're upset about it. Okay, and uh, Roger Goodell was asked about it in his little locker room scrum that they had on Monday. It used to be a press conference with reporters showing up. Now it's invited guests on a Monday, so it gets buried, and nobody writes about it. He was Goodell was asked about the. Uh, the basically 49ers complaints, and he basically told him to suck it up. <laughs> he basically said, you know, that, that, that's, the, that's the hand they've been dealt. And here's the issue. Uh, the 49ers, you know, are, are practicing on a, at a facility that they don't believe is safe for their players, among other things. Silver wrote that uh, about this uh, NFL field measurement called the GMAX score, which, which quantifies the ability of the playing surface to absorb the kinetic energy from a collision. The lower the score, the more energy the field absorbs, potentially creating an injury risk for the player in question. Okay, most NFL t- uh, fields have a GMAX score between 7 and 80. I'd be real curious. 70 and the 80. FedEx field. Yeah, between 70 and 80. I'd be curious what, the, uh, what FedEx field scores are. But uh, the first inspection last week, the UNL fields, UNLV fields, received a score of 48. <laughs> That's pretty dramatically different. And they've tried to improve it, and I think it's gotten up to 50 since then. So, uh, you know, the 49ers, I mean, it's, it's, there's this idea that, you know, the Chiefs are, are being treated like royalty, and the 49ers are, being, are getting second-class treatment. Yeah, I'm reading this story right now as you're describing it. So the NFL normally requires Super Bowl practice fields to meet certain standards in December. Um, And as you described, the NFL hardness score for fields averages 78 with no field score being less than 70. So you don't want it to be too hard. You don't want it to be too soft. Both end up being unsafe potentially for players. So it's got to fall somewhere in the 70s. And the Niners field for the week right now is somewhere in the 50s. And as you described, Goodell basically is telling them to man up. He said the work that's being done every single day, we've had 23 experts out there, um, you know, that it is up to standard, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Look, if the 49ers 
don't believe that, A, it's safe enough for their players to practice on that field. B, um, they're not going to get the proper preparation and work leading up to the game. They should get on a plane and go back to Northern California to their facility. And they would be fined severely. But if the league's yeah. not going to provide a, fa- a, a, a safe play, uh, practice field, Look, Goodell, Goodell can't agree with them because then what do they do? You know, they, they, where do they practice? Then the only option is for them to go back, and it's Super Bowl week. There are major responsibilities well, it, it could be, media-wise. Apparently, apparently it could be rescheduled. The, the Chiefs' practice time could be rescheduled to work around to share the facility, as I've read it. You mean but the, the Raiders' the fourth, facility? Yeah, the Raiders' facility. Uh, but, uh, you know, the way Mike Silver wrote it, the 49ers don't think it's a Chiefs problem. They think it's an NFL problem. I mean, and the NFL needs to fix this. But, you know, this is why I like you as a leader, buddy. You'd sit there and say, fuck them, we're getting on a plane, we're going, home. We're going back home well, to I'm, practice. I, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I wouldn't do that without the situation being legitimately unsafe and or we're not going to be able to prepare properly for the biggest game of the year and the NFL they can't have they they can't admit that they gave the 49ers a piece of shit field that's unsafe and you know the truth is probably somewhere in between where it's probably just barely unsafe or barely below standards and maybe it's being exaggerated who knows but the bottom line is if the NFL's required to provide a practice field that meets certain standards and that's not being you know met and they don't feel like the work that they're getting done is productive enough and they feel like their players are unsafe it's the 49ers responsibility to get the hell out of there and find a field that's that that makes sense to practice on if the NFL's not going to find it you can't sit there and wait for them and watch Roger Goodell you know essentially roll his eyes and say ah it's good enough i mean you got a game and by the way you lost to them a few years ago, and this is a big spot for this team and this franchise, the Niners on Sunday. Bigger than it is oh, for yes. the Chiefs. Yes. Yes, it is. This but, is legacy-defining day for a lot of people in that organization. Now, as of last night, Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers essentially said, despite their displeasure, They've decided they're not going to make any more of an issue about it. Noting that practice and the game are two different things. And who knows? Maybe they've gotten all their practice, you know, done. And these are kind of walkthroughs this week anyway. I don't remember how, you know, much they really practice between now and Sunday. Now, uh, don't dismiss this because we know coaches do this. This sets up the perfect us-against-the-world mentality for the 49ers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be better if somehow, you know, they suspended one of their best – Debo Samuel for something that was Bush League. Um, that would be much more of an us-against-them. But Yeah, but you don't need much. You don't need much yeah. to generate that feeling that, look, they, they, they don't want us to win – they want the Taylor Swift exactly, to win. Exactly. You see, this is this is a perfect <laughs> example of that. You're, this is like uh, this is like manna from heaven for a coach trying to fire up his team. And look, that you know, 
I, I guarantee you, Dan Quinn would make a big deal out of it. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, this game for, because he's a man among men. Don't you think this game for for this market is just really uh, uh, an absolute afterthought at this point? I know it's only Tuesday. But in the, it's funny because the the NFL news that dominates after the championship games is all of the coaching news, all of the front office moves, all of the coordinator hires, you know, all of the looking ahead to free agency in the draft, and the biggest game of the year is about to be played. I think that's what we've gotten to in recent years is that the game, at least that first week to 10 days after the championship games, it's not about the game. It'll end up being about the game as we get later in the week. But in cities like ours, when we've had so much change, um, and it looks like a lot of the news is you know going to wind down here over the next couple of days. Who knows? But, yeah. Um, no, you're right. I'm looking you're forward right. to the I game, mean, though. For a city that doesn't have a rooting interest right now, but I think, like, as, you know, it's not that big of a deal. But you're, as the week goes on, that changes, I think. I think so. I you think, know? though, for me, the Super Bowl in recent years is anticlimactic uh, to what is the big show, which is the season itself, the 22 straight weeks of games and talking about games and multiple games on weekends, even on championship weekend, there are two games. And then when you're down to one game and you got to wait two weeks for it, it's sort of anticlimactic to me. Um, And in recent years, I have found myself not necessarily caring about the big game until the day of, or even just like an hour before. And then it's like, all right, let's watch this game. I'm excited to see this game, but there's not a big build to it anymore. Um, I can't say I feel that way. Okay. I mean, like this game in particular, I'm I'm very interested in everything Pat Mahomes does, since I think he may be the best player I've ever seen play quarterback. So that raises my level of interest pretty significantly. And I'm also interested in what Kyle Shanahan does, because I think he's he's a great coach, uh, whose legacy will have a, a a giant hole in it if he doesn't come away with a Super Bowl at some point. Yeah. Um, speaking of Mahomes being the greatest quarterback of all time, uh, somebody wrote about that over the weekend. I want to get to that. And I promised this last week, and we never did get to it. Uh, for those of you interested in the Orioles sale, uh, Tommy will weigh in on that big news last week for Orioles fans. We'll get to all of that and more right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, Tommy, tell us about Shelly's. Okay, I'm going to tell you about the special today at Shelly's Back Room. And, you know, today's Tuesday, so it's a day that ends in a Y. And every day of the week that ends in a Y is a special day at Shelly's Back Room for their food, for their drink, for their cigars, for their camaraderie. This is, this is an oldie but a goodie, a standard that most people, I don't know anyone who doesn't like this, a chicken parm sandwich. Mm. Okay. Who doesn't like chicken, chicken parm? parm? Seriously, sandwich. who doesn't like chicken parm? I know. No, I can't Everybody likes chicken parm. It's got to be yeah, good, and, and they've got a good is, chicken parm sandwich. Yeah, chicken tender, marinara, provolone, and parmesan on a butter-toasted Kaiser roll. I mean, you know what? I'm going to go find see if I can find one that's not going to be as good as Shelly's after the show, but it'll have to do because, I mean, I think chicken parm, I want one immediately. If you want one or some other great uh, item on the menu, head to Shelly's Back Room. You can find out more at Shelly'sBackRoom.com. God, chicken parm sounds so yes. good right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So before we get to just your thoughts on the sale of the Orioles to David Rubenstein, uh, Neil Greenberg in the Post wrote a story over the weekend. Is Patrick Mahomes already the greatest quarterback in NFL history? And I actually, Tommy, played golf on Sunday, and I was I read it from a newspaper. I, I can't remember the last time I read a story from an actual newspaper. It's been a long wow. time. I don't get newspapers yeah. delivered. I haven't for a long time now. I there was a time where I would pick up USA Today's from, you know, on Friday during football season because you could lay it out in, in front of you much easier. But I haven't. I, I don't even do that anymore. But anyway, um, we had this conversation recently about if Mahomes goes in and beats the Ravens and he ends up going to the Super Bowl and he wins another one. I mean. Is it too early to say greatest of all time? A lot of people said, dude, he doesn't even need to win the Super Bowl. He's already the greatest I've ever seen. And there is, you know, this is more of, you know, we've all watched a lot of NFL. Who's the guy that's the greatest you've ever watched? Mahomes is in the conversation, I think, for most people. But in terms of winning, Brady's got seven Super Bowl wins. He's got seven. So... Right now, Brady is very comfortable in being the greatest winner of all time until further notice. But anyway, I thought there were some really interesting things in this story that Greenberg um, wrote. Not, well, it, it, yeah, you know, it's funny because I've been thinking about how I may have jumped the gun on saying that Mahomes is plays the quarterback better position than anyone I've ever seen because his style is so dramatic. I mean, when he's on the run and the passes that he made. And Brady, we may overlook Brady because he was just too surgical. I don't you overlook know? I don't overlook that. I don't overlook that. Well I, well, I think I have, and I think I need to backtrack a little bit and give Brady his due, is that I mean, he was so surgical in his delivery of the ball and, and never losing his cool and, and finding his targets, did not have great targets throughout much of that time when he was with the Patriots. Uh, 
So, I mean, I'm going to backtrack and still say that Brady is probably the best of all time. But Mahomes plays the position. Mahomes plays the position that people who have never watched football before can watch it and say, wow, that guy is amazing. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the way I felt about Elway in watching Elway when he came around. It was wow football. It was the strongest arm. It was the most mobile. It was the most clutch. It was so many things rolled into one quarterback body. Um, and I'm and I and I also felt that way at times about Steve Young. And I've also felt that way at times about Aaron Rodgers. But Mahomes takes all of that to a different level. I, I, I agree with you. Uh, so the case that Greenberg lays out actually was just kind of interesting to me um, because there was uh, there were a few numbers that I didn't expect to be so different between Brady and Mahomes, and that's really who he's comparing Mahomes to. Uh, first of all, I didn't realize that already, already, Patrick Mahomes has the third most playoff wins of all time. Wow. Be- behind Joe Montana and Brady. Brady's got 35, okay? Uh, Montana's got 16. But if you consider Mahomes at 28 years old, six years starting, I mean, he's got at least another six years starting. He's easily going to be number two all-time behind Brady, and he'll start to push Brady potentially. Who knows? It depends on the teams he plays on, etc. But it's a pretty good start to a career from a playoff uh, standpoint. Not to mention, you know, he's led Kansas City to six straight AFC title games, unprecedented, two Super Bowl titles, MVPs twice in the league, twice in the big game. Only Brady and Montana have also won at least two Super Bowls while, claim, while claiming two um, uh, Super Bowl MVP trophies and two regular season MVP awards. But then you get into the numbers, like comparing Brady and Mahomes in their first six seasons as a starter, um, Mahomes' numbers dwarf Brady's. Uh, he had a 103.7 passer rating to Brady's 88.4. Um, the, compared to the league average, Mahomes is 12 points ahead of the league average during his first six seasons. Brady was about eight points ahead of the league average during his first six seasons. But then here's something that really I think you can start to see why some people believe Mahomes, if not now, will be the greatest of all time. If you compare the Mahomes playoff starts to date. He's started 17 playoff games. Um, and he's 14 and three, all right, in those playoff wow. games. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. Um, but there is yeah. this stat that is kind of um, an expected points added. It's somewhat similar to the war number in baseball. It's, you know, an estimated based on performance, how many more points per game versus the average based on down, distance, field position of each play. Anyway, long story short, it's it's a number that a lot of people use to, to measure with a lot more data surrounding it, the actual production of a specific player. In the 17 playoff games that Mahomes has played in, if you compare those to Brady's first 17 games, Mahomes is worth double the the expected wow. points added that Brady was during that first 
17 games. Like, there is a massive difference per that number in Mahomes' performances in the 17 playoff games versus Brady's performance in the first 17 games. Now, we think about Brady's early portion of the career. He was really good, but the defenses were outstanding. The kicker was great. A lot of those games were super close, some of them super low scoring, um, whereas Mahomes has pretty much been the overall catalyst. Now, the, the single biggest reason for the disparity is that Mahomes doesn't make mistakes. Brady did in his first 17 playoff games. Um, Mahomes had more touchdown pay- passes than Brady, but he had significantly less interceptions. And we were talking about that, remember, after the Baltimore game last week. This dude just doesn't make any mistakes in the biggest games that he plays in. He just doesn't. And um, anyway. Uh, you don't have to convince me. I mean, like I said, uh, I mean, I go back to the days of watching, watching Johnny Unitas play and, and Namus and Kenny Stabler. And, uh, you know, I saw him with Joe Montana from when he played in college at Notre Dame. Uh, Dan Fouts, so many great quarterbacks. Uh, this guy plays it better than anybody I've ever seen. Yeah. Why it's hard to bet against him. I think the bottom line from this story is that comparing Brady and Mahomes at this point, Mahomes has been more valuable. Uh, as a player than Brady was at this point. Um, He's got a long way to go. Brady played until he was 45 years old, and this dude's only 28. But, you know, you mentioned, yeah, Unitas. For me, you know, Marino, Montana, Unitas, Elway, Rodgers, Peyton. Obviously, Peyton's in the conversation. But uh, anyway, all right, tell us about the Orioles sale, and we'll wrap it up. Well, I wrote about it in the Washington Times, in Monday's Washington Times, uh, how, uh, you know, when Peter Angelos first bought the team back at a, a bankruptcy auction in 1993, he was seen as a hero uh, because, you know, he was a Baltimore guy who was going to promise to keep the team in Baltimore, even though there is no chance of the Orioles going anywhere. But that's a city that's paranoid. That was paranoid about losing teams after they lost the Colts, like nine years before. Right. They're still paranoid there about losing teams, even though there was no way Major League Baseball was going to let the Orioles move anywhere. Now David Rubenstein is being hailed as the savior for finally getting, you know, finally moving on from the Angelos ownership, which has been similar to the Dan Snyder ownership in many ways, and, and a real burden for Orioles fans uh, up there. David Rubenstein is a Baltimore native, but he's become a Washington guy. You know, he's, he's identified here in Washington with all the work that he does, uh, you know, via media, charities, and things like that. And the reason the sale happened uh, now is, I mean, I think the timing caught people by surprise, People in the know always knew that in Angelos, Peter Angelos, who's incapacitated, that in his will, the team would be sold, that that was dictated in his will. But uh, the Angelos family, and this was led by, by his wife, Georgia, not John Angelos, the son who controls the team, 
they wanted to sell it early because that way they got to pretty much control who they sold it to. If if it was if it became uh, an item in in uh, like his will, there's a chance there would be bidders. There's a chance it would go up for auction. There's all kinds of complications that could get in the way. This way, they dis- they were able to select who they wanted to be the owner, and it was David Rubenstein. Plus, John Angelos had this scam where he was going to try to get development rights for the land around the stadium to develop, and he tried to convince, as far of a part of a new lease, for the state to give the Orioles like those development rights for like the next 99 years. And when that didn't happen, the state laughed in his face, and they went ahead and signed the lease anyway. There was no reason to think that, you know, if they got those rights, the, the, the value of the team would be much more. Right. You know, so the sales price would have been greater. Once they didn't get that, there was no reason to, not to wait to sell the team, and that's what they did. So how about the impact on the Nationals uh, in every way that you can describe, including the current, you know, potential sale of their team. By the way, real quickly, didn't you well, think the sale price of one point seven three billion or whatever it was seemed kind of low? I did initially, but if if you generate the Orioles revenue and uh, use the formula, I think it's six times maybe uh, the revenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a fair price then. Okay. Uh, they don't bring in a lot of money. So the Rubenstein you know, buying the, the Orioles Nats effect is what? Uh, it's a little bit all, all over the place. Okay? Uh, people are excited about the possibility now of having this Masson deal, having the Orioles control the Nationals' rights, having it possibly go away. I mean, there's a reason to believe that baseball, who's had to put up with this... Uh, dysfunctional rate arrangement would try to coerce some kind of, of thing to before they approve the sale to Rubenstein to get him to get to get the nationals out of the Masson deal. But that's also an asset for David Rubenstein. He bought a team that has a network that owns the television rights of, of the team down the road. That's an asset for him. So I'm not, I'm not sure how willing he's going to be to just lay down and say, you know, okay, you know, you go your way and I'll go our way. Uh, I don't know what it means for Ted Leonsis, who was reportedly a bidder to buy the Nationals, but his biggest money partner was David Rubenstein. Now he's out of the picture. Right. I don't know what it means for Ted as a bidder to, to buy the Nationals. And the Nationals still... There's a family dispute as to whether they should sell the team, but they certainly operate the team like they don't want to own it because they ain't spending shit on on players. And they they even do like a winter caravan, you know? I mean, you know, have players are in town for a weekend. No Nats Fest, no caravan, nothing. So they certainly act like they're a family that doesn't want to own the team. But I know in the past Mark Lerner, has wanted to hang on to the team. The rest of the family does not. Uh, you would think that this would generate, create more momentum 
for the sale, but until the Masson thing is resolved, I'm not sure that'll happen. And there's nothing on the immediate horizon that indicates that things are going to change for Washington baseball, which is looking at another last-place finish. Wonderful news. Uh, it, is it true that David Rubenstein owns the Magna Carta? That's what people have said, you know. <laughs> That's pretty wild. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, uh, where did he get it and how much did it cost? We could probably look that up here. Um, David Rubenstein. They'll have to have Magna Carta night at Camden Yards. Have to give away replicas of the Magna Carta. In December 2007, Rubenstein purchased the last privately owned copy of the Magna Carta at Sotheby's Auction House in New York for $21.3 million. Then he lent it to the National Archives in D.C. Okay. Um, These are and, and what's unusual about the sale, most, most teams are, are sold when, not when they're so healthy, in a, on a competitive level. The Orioles, I mean, the Orioles are going to be a force to be reckoned with in baseball this summer, this year. Right. I mean, they were last yeah. year, and now they're going to add Jackson Holiday to their team. So it's yeah. unusual for a team to be sold when they're so good at the time. How about this, as you're talking about the Orioles team? Rubenstein helped repair the Washington Monument after the earthquake. Did you know that? Donated $7.5 million towards the repair of the Washington Monument and another $3 million to refurbish the monument's elevator. Man, that Carlisle group, those those guys made some money, didn't they? (laughs) They did. They made some money. Um, I, I, I don't know much about him, but I've always found him to be very interesting because... The show that he did for Bloomberg, at the interview, the, I thought he was an excellent interviewer. Yes. I thought um, he was very good on the show. And he, he conducts the interviews for guests at the e- Economist Club, I think, too. Rubenstein, I think he Rubenstein was once offered the opportunity to meet Mark Zuckerberg to invest in Facebook before zuckerberg dropped out of harvard he said this is the single greatest investment regret he decided against it he also turned down a 20 percent stake a 20 percent stake in amazon during the very early years of the wow. company he told wow. bezos that if he got lucky and everything worked out he would be at most worth 300 million dollars <laughs> um, he missed on that one i would assume well I mean, it could have been angel money for the uh, for both of those companies rather than a Carlisle investment. I don't know. Carlisle wasn't doing those kinds of deals back then, I don't think. But uh, all right. Um, that was a good show today. You did well today. You did well. I don't think Thank that you. you I don't You're think not going to get rid of me? No. Yeah. Uh, I don't think any I don't think anybody could be pissed off at you from today's show. Back on oh, Thursday with Tommy. Pissed off at me. Tomorrow, I think Logan Paulson will be with us. All right, see you. I'll talk to you later. Okay, boss.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.